The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences, financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet. Good morning, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet, on the Voice America Online Radio Network, business channel, that is. Uh, We've got a great uh, program for you today with my special guest, Kathy Jessup, and Kathy is a longtime journalist from Michigan, and she's got a master's degree in political science, and recently she penned an extensive and what I would describe as a terrific must-read six-part series on embezzlement, which she called Other People's Money, and uh, it focused on local cases where she lives up in Michigan, Uh, and uh, what I found notable about her series is that it it was right on point and uh, really a microcosm of of what is going on all over the country in the arena of uh, employee theft, so we're going to get into that with Kathy in a minute, but uh, before we get there, uh, I want to remind everybody our mantra, and that is at any time in any organization, there's always somebody who's up to no good. And we're here to try to help uh, organizations learn, educate, uh, get a little bit better handle on this so that uh, they, might, uh, they might protect themselves a little bit better, prevent something uh, bad from happening. And in the case uh, when it does occur, because it always will, uh, try to mitigate it quickly and efficiently uh, before it gets to be uh, a, real, a real serious problem. So... Remember, the call-in line today is 866-472-5790. If you would like to join our discussion this morning, please call in. Uh, And uh, you can also find us on all the major social media. That is Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And uh, we use the hashtag FraudTalk on Twitter. And also um, my blog uh, called FraudTalk on Blogspot, which... uh, um, today, by the way, I posted that series of articles, links to them at least uh, for Kathy's uh, entire series on the blog. You can see that right now as we speak. Uh, but also you can contact me directly, Chris, at marqueeinternational.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-E-T, international, all one word, dot com. If you've got a question, a comment, or perhaps a suggested fraud of the week. And speaking of which, this week's fraud is in honor of our guest, 
today, and it involves a couple who stole about $350,000 from a senior living community in Michigan over a, f- a five-year period. And this is from uh, just from this is literally last uh, Friday, whenever, uh, from M Live, uh, which is a, a Michigan uh, news website on um, November 7th. A Midland couple is accused of embezzling more than $350,000 from a Saginaw company offering subsidized housing at three locations. Police allege the embezzlement took place over a five-year period at Saginaw Westchester Village. Westchester's now former executive director, Michelle R. Johnson, and her husband, Mark J. Fortier, are charged with three felonies each and face up to 20 years in prison. Well, that's not going to happen. Anyway, uh, Johnson, 42, and 48, 52 of Coleman, Michigan, are charged with conducting and continuing criminal enterprise, embezzling more than $100,000, and also the second charge of embezzling more than $50,000, but less than $100,000. Quote, the suspected loss is upwards of $357,000, which Johnson accomplished by using a Citizens Bank Visa card belonging to the victim, according to a sworn affidavit from the police investigator. Um, Johnson apparently worked for as the executive director and project administrator for the Westchester Village and all uh, and the two other campuses in Saginaw Township and one in Saginaw proper uh, um, for those of 62 years of age or older. So it's a senior living facility, and uh, and she was the executive director. Uh, so the apparently an audit uh, from this this uh, this current year. I'm sorry, last year, 2013. Uh, found quote unquote questionable expenses um and um there were uh, qu- uh you know apparently misunderstandings of purchasing authority uh that Johnson alleged was uh, was the reason for the for the discrepancy however uh the investigation found you know a total of 174,000 plus in non-business activity charges on the credit cards and other another $182,000 in potential business expenses, which may or may not have been legitimate. So the loss there totaling, uh, which they believe totaling over $357,000, uh, uh, which, uh, which spanned that five-year period between 2009 until uh, this past May, I believe, when she was fired in 2014. So some of the transactions and the statements obtained from the bank showed purchases in Hawaii at professional sporting events and Home Depots, Lowe's, etc., and other cash advances at, surprise, surprise, casinos, uh, according to the detective. So, folks, this is, again, another um, very typical case. Uh, in, in this case, the husband, uh, this fellow Fortier, apparently he worked also at, on the grounds uh, for a period of time. But he also enjoyed the fruits of the ill-gotten gains that uh, his uh, wife uh, uh, misappropriated, allegedly. I have to use that word, allegedly. Uh, In any event, um, uh, money spent at casinos in Hawaii, obviously a a luxury vacation and other lifestyle uh, um, expenditures. And so I'm sure that this is uh, this fits the the regular profile and we're going to get into that uh, but I want to bring in Kathy Jessup uh, right now. Welcome Kathy. Good morning Chris. How are you? So what do you think of that case? Um not really surprising. Sounds pretty typical actually from what uh, based on my research. 
Yes, it sure does. So let me introduce Kathy to the readers here. I'm sorry, the listeners. Um, <clears throat> Kathy uh, has a long and distinguished background in the area of journalism and has written about business and crime matters, uh, crime matters for many, many years. Uh, just uh, like I said, just this past month, she published an extensive and terrific six-part series on the topic of embezzlement, which she called Other People's Money. Uh, Kathy Jessup, from her bio, Kathy Jessup is principal of Kathy Jessup Consulting based in Michigan and is involved in a range of communications products and services, including freelance writing for publications and commercial enterprises, as well as developing and producing messaging strategies and products for governmental entities. She has also been a freelance writer focused on conservative politics and personality pieces for publications, including townhall.com and The Blaze. Uh, Kathy writes regularly for the Sturgis Journal in Michigan and spent 35 years writing for the Kalamazoo Gazette and has written for the South Bend Tribune, the Detroit News, and the Ypsilanti Press. She often covers legal matters and court cases and, most recently, as I mentioned, authored a six-part series on embezzlement in the Sturgis Journal called Other People's Money. Kathy received a BA degree from Hillsdale College in 1973 in political science, economics, and biology, and more recently, a master's degree in political science from Western Michigan University in 2011. She has earned numerous awards in journalism during her lengthy and distinguished career. Welcome, Kathy. Well, thank you for that introduction. I appreciate it. (laughs) My pleasure, my pleasure. So this, I mean, you came to my attention when I am, I'm, I'm always constantly scanning and, and looking for articles and cases that go into my my extensive body of cases that uh, go into my annual report on embezzlement. And I saw your article, I think the first one, um, <clears throat> Does Crime Pay?, and that it, which alluded to the the rest of the series, which then came out every couple of days, a, a new article, and uh, I found it to be uh, just a terrific uh, um, expose on the issue of of embezzlement. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, it really what you, I think what you found was uh, was a, a typical and endemic of what is uh, what is going on across the country, not just in you know St. Joseph's County where where you're located, but uh, but all. All over. Um, so, in any event, uh, I just found it great. That's how uh, how uh, Kathy came to my attention, and I reached out to her, and we've been we've been chatting uh, on and off for the for the past couple of weeks. Um, Kathy, how how did you get involved in the business of journalism? Well, actually, I started working for a small newspaper in Michigan when I was still in high school, and uh, then went on to college. And it's just, it's a field that I have never tired of and always wanted to be involved in. I think um, I have a natural curiosity about things, and I I seem to have, I think, a gift um, for recognizing Issues that people may be interested in finding out more about. And uh, so you marry those um, attributes together and you, you have a, a career in the field of journalism. Yeah, and I imagine that uh, one of the reasons is that um, every day, I mean, it's something new. It's a new, a, new, a whole new arena for you to examine and you're learning something every day, something new, something different. That's kind of, uh, 
I mean, I look at my own career as an investigator and looking at different cases. And yes, it's sort of the same process of analyzing and fact finding, uh, but it's a different case every day with different circumstances, different, you know, a different industry, different geography, whatever, that it always that makes it really interesting. Is, Is that how it is for you? I think that's absolutely true, and this uh, series that I did on, in, uh, on embezzlement was, is a case in point. I learned an awful lot uh, through the research that I did on, uh, on this, and you, know, try, you try to go into these investigations without preconceived notions, but I think some are always there, and um, as I say, I learned a lot, and some of the preconceived notions that I had were... Um, were demolished during the course of of doing the research, and I have to say also, Chris, that I relied uh, a fair bit on the um, the statistical analysis that you've put together on this issue of embezzlement, and what you found over the course of a number of years that you've been putting data together on this particular crime. So um, that uh, that was really good information for me to have, and I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it too, and uh, I was honored that you used some of my numbers. Uh, so, just uh, we probably have about a minute left in this first segment. T- what was like the biggest thing that the biggest preconceived notion about this kind of white collar crime that got smashed in your mind? Well, I guess maybe two. One is that that you that punishment fits the crime, and I think I found um, fairly across the board that that's not the case. That I'm not sure that um, embezzlement doesn't continue to occur on a, on a pretty, at a pretty steady pace because, at least in Michigan, our sen- sentencing guidelines do very little to um, discourage this, uh, people from falling into this kind of crime. And secondly, that um, audits will protect you from being the victim of embezzlement. Um, that's not true, and I know in Michigan we spend an awful lot of the public's money having annual audits conducted to make ourselves feel like we know that everything's being handled properly. And when you really understand what goes into those annual audits, you will find that sometimes um, and often that your gut instincts will do more than a professional audit to um, alert you to the potential for embezzlement. Right, and I think on both points you're you're correct, and we're going to get into that, folks, when we return in about two minutes. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. 
Marquet International Professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Workplaces are only as strong as their teams. Teams are only as strong as their individual members. Are you seeking a better way to take your business to a higher level? We're here to help. Listen for Leading with Social-Emotional Intelligence, Building Trust Through Intentionality and Vulnerability with host Glenn Harris. Together, we'll explore the five key behaviors of a cohesive team and other concepts designed to keep your team working smarter. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet, and we are speaking today with my guest, uh, <clears throat> um, Kathy Jessup, who is a writer from Michigan and recently wrote a terrific uh, series called Other People's Money, which is all about embezzlement, uh, what she learned in her investigative journalism uh, activities in uh, in uh, St. Joseph's County, Michigan, which uh, which is nice to see. You don't see a lot of that original, real, real uh, investigative journalism going on these days. But uh, in any event, uh, Kathy put together this great series, and you can find links to it um, on my Fraud Talk blog uh, if you'd like to, to read those, and I encourage everyone to do so. Welcome back, Kathy. How are you? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you this morning? Good, good. And we're talking about your series and what you learned uh, in the course of doing all the research you did to become an expert in, uh, in the area of embezzlement. Uh, so, so the first article, which is, had a kind of provocative uh, title, it's called uh, uh, Does Crime Pay? And you talk about a number of cases locally and, and where you know, perpetrators seem to get light punishments and other, other folks even ha- seem to have uh, are able to expunge their records. T- tell, us about, tell us about what you, what you learned and, and this connects to the preconceived notions that we spoke of earlier. Well, it, it appears as though um, it, with embezzlement, it's kind of a crime that's go big or go home. If you uh, embezzle large amounts of money, if this ends is your first offense, 
um, you pretty much just get a slap on the wrist. I looked at a case that we had here, a man embezzled $650,000 from a, a recreational vehicle manufacturing business that he um, held an interest in with several other partners. And um, over a period of time, um, you know, he took $650,000 out of the business. Well, he was prosecuted and did um, nine months in the county jail for uh, that time. He's only paid 640, he still owes $648,000 of that uh, money. So based on the amount of time that he did in jail for that, he was making about a hundred, that was making about a hundred dollars an hour for the time that he was incarcerated. Not a bad, you know, not a bad payback. And so he's not paying back that money. It doesn't appear as though the county's going to be recovering, uh, that money for the, uh, the, the principles of that business. And in the meantime, he, he moved to Indiana and was on the verge of getting a tax break from a municipality in Indiana before somebody found out about his record in Michigan and, uh, they put a stop to that. And that business activity on his part was actually a, a violation of his probation in Michigan. So, and there are a number of cases where we're, if we're talking large amounts of money, um, very infrequently do the uh, the victims receive full restitution, and as I say, under Michigan sentencing guidelines, if it's your first offense, you are very likely not to get much of any, if any, jail time. You were talking about this case in Saginaw. Uh, yes, it's a 20-year felony. Are they going to do 20 years? No. Um, basically, one of the judges here told me that the prisons in Michigan are saying, Send us people you're afraid of, not people you're mad at, because we don't have the room for them. So wow, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's kind of uh, what I've seen in some of my research as well. That the the sentences are relatively light, uh, in my opinion. And in this case, uh, in, in your Goshen case, the RV uh, fellow. Um, I believe you said $650,000 and he still owed 648. So, so he paid back two grand and he probably got a restitution order or something that said, okay, you know, pay back a hundred dollars a month or something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're never, they're never going to see the money. Uh, he quit quit paying. Um, he quit as soon as his probationary time was up. I think that was five years. He quit paying the restitution order as well. And because he's no longer in Michigan, uh, apparently, there are some issues with being able to um, enforce that order in Indiana. I'm not exactly sure of all the particulars on that, but um, so is it likely that he's ever going to repay that money? No. Right. Tell us about the, uh, the the Christopher Pratt case, if you will. Oh, he's the um, uh, fellow from uh, the grocery store chain? Yes, yes. Yeah. I think it was uh, Merck's uh, Village Market or something yeah, like that. Yes, he embezzled um, several million dollars over the period of time. He was uh, like their... I think it was like six, like six and a half million, wasn't it? I yeah, mean, a their huge amount of money. Yeah, their financial officer. And um, 
I'm not exactly sure what, because, you know, owners of businesses don't like to talk about their losses. It makes them look like, you know, how could you have missed six and a half million dollars and not realized it? What are your business practices like? So you don't get a lot of detail from those who are victims in those cases, but uh, it looks as though as a result of his embezzlement, um, they had to close stores. Even locally, one one store was closed. People lost their jobs. Um, he's in prison, but the likelihood that uh, again that they're ever going to be made fully whole on that um, is very slim. Yeah. So I think I mean I think this guy did it over the course of uh, eight eight plus years. Right. Right. And, but that's um, an awful lot of money, even in the course of eight years. And you look at that as an annual earnings, and you're asking, okay, he's in prison until. 2019, not a bad payback. Yeah, what was it like? It's, you know, an, an extra 800 grand a year. No problem, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I think that the, the, the grocery store had to fire people and whatnot and mm-hmm. um, close stores. And, and, and he is in prison. I, I forget. I think he got about a, a five-year sentence or something like that. But uh, even that, he'll end up getting out uh, fairly quickly. You also wrote about a, a fellow named Andy Brown who um, who was able to expunge part of his record. Tell us about the, how that works. Andy Brown was not the person who, was, who received an expungement. He was charged in a, a neighboring county in 20, uh, 2005 with, with embezzlement of uh, in excess of $100,000. He was a CPA um, and embezzled from um, clients. He uh, repaid all of that money and was placed on probation. While he was still on probation, he was able to get his CPA license back and went to work for a Sturgis accounting firm and began almost immediately embezzling again, Uh, again in excess of of $100,000. Well, when the principal of this firm found out what uh, Andy Brown was doing, he confronted him and Andy Brown and is now been convicted of the murder of that um, right. uh, of that accounting firm owner, and he's in state prison not for the not for embezzlement, but for the uh, for secondary degree murder. That is just an amazing story. Here's a guy who is a CPA is convicted of embezzling. Uh, in the in the first instance, uh, whatever it was, a hundred grand or two hundred thousand. I think it was mm-hmm. two hundred thousand in the first instance, um, and uh, from from a nonprofit, he's convicted of this. But and he loses his CPA license, rightfully so. But he's able to actually get it back. How it, the 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 Michigan Accounting Board Board of Accountancy? How could they possibly do such a thing? It's hard to it's hard to fathom that, and uh, you know I've been told by some judges in our county that he really got off very easily um, w- with the criminal justice system in the the uh, our adjacent county. But he repaid the the hundred thousand dollars or excess of a hundred thousand dollars that he embezzled from uh, the nonprofit, and then was just placed on probation. Yeah, and, so um, that that's. And being on probation, then he gets the other, the second job. He he starts embezzling in, and then he murders the owner after right. being confronted. I mean, right. just just an unbelievable story. So you wonder uh, what would have happened if you know the the penalty on the first 
embezzlement had been a bit stiffer. Might right, have saved right. someone's life. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to know. Yeah, I mean, I found that uh, when the perps um, pay back or make restitution quickly, or at least sh- make a show of restitution, they always make a show of it, at least initially, and that tends to knock down the sentence sometimes, in this, like in this case, just to pure a pure probation uh, period, mm-hmm. which is again amazing to me, but uh, but that certainly makes a difference in the in the sentencing, um, and unfortunately for the uh, for the uh, accounting firm business owner who that got uh, ripped off from him the second time around, uh, cost him his life. Right. Uh, but you also talk about in, in the article about another case where somebody had part of their record expen- explain that we have about a minute and a half or so okay there was another gentleman who was a CFO at um, uh, a manufacturing firm in our county who was charged with embezzlement in excess of nine hundred thousand dollars this was back in 2006 um, the story is that his wife died uh, the judge says he went off the deep end uh, he went out and bought a lot I mean every Mustang coming out of Ford Manufacturing, he en- you know, ended up buying and just a lot of um, unusual purchases. And people in the community thought he had gotten an insurance settlement from his wife's death, and that's where the money was coming from. Well, when they finally realized you know, this business was out $900,000, he was prosecuted. They sold off the assets. He returned some of the property that he had purchased with the money. I'm not sure that that company's been made whole. They don't really want to talk about the details, but um, he was, uh, um, you know, placed on probation, did some jail time, um, then went back after five years. In Michigan, you can go back after five years and request an expungement. He went back, had the judge agreed to have his um, record expunged over the objection of the county prosecutor and also the victim in this case, and... um, uh, when I went back to take a look at this case, I had done a story about this originally um, when he was first charged, and I couldn't find it, and I didn't know why. Well, apparently all of the references to his case, if you Google the case, have now been eliminated from um, the online records. I'm not sure how that's accomplished, but it was done in a relatively short period of time. So now anyone looking to hire this gentleman um, will and Google him to do a criminal background check will not find anything about this case. Wow, that's a, that's just amazing. That's a little disconcerting, uh, especially to me. But uh, we uh, we're going to have to take a break, and we come back. We're going to continue speaking with Kathy Je- uh, Kathy Jessup and about embezzlement and what she's learned in the course of her research and this, uh, the great series that she put together uh, called Other People's Money. We'll be back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for the second stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back. Uh, we are speaking today with Kathy Jessup, my guest, uh, who is a journalist uh, in Michigan and wrote a terrific series called Other People's Money, all about embezzlement. And I encourage everyone to go and read that series. It's posted up on my blog, Fraud Talk, which is on uh, Blogspot. Uh, go take a look at that, or you can also find it uh, just Googling it on the Sturgis uh, Journal, where she uh, where she published them. So uh, welcome back, Kathy. How are you? Doing well this morning. How are you? We're waiting for snow here in Michigan. Yeah, I hear the polar vortex is uh, is going to suck down the frigid air uh, in your region. That's going to sweep across the country. Not a good thing. I can hardly wait. <laughs> yeah, so much for global warming. But in any event, uh, the uh, you put together in, in your second article and also in uh, I think the fifth article described you know some of the statistics and some of the profiling of your typical embezzler. Tell, tell us what you learned and, and, and again, that, that sort of uh, ch- changed your, your preconceived notions that w- when you went into this. Well, I have to give you a lot of credit um, because I drew from the, the study that you do on embezzlement, the annual study that you do putting together statistics from um, cases that have uh, occurred each year. Uh, and what I found is our county is uh, pretty typically follows that same pattern that most embezzlers are women and they're likely in their 40s and they have no criminal record, uh, which makes sense if you think about it. To get to a point in a business where you um, 
uh, have the trust to be able to handle financial transactions, cash coming in, uh, cash going out, uh, you have to be trusted. And so somebody who has a prior criminal history probably is not going to rise to the level of having that level of trust within an organization. But I was, um, but it is interesting. I, I read somewhere that uh, they, uh, they've said that embezzlement is the only crime other than prostitution where women are more likely than men to offend. And uh, you think about that, it's pretty profound. Mm. Why do you think that is? Well, there are two theories about uh, why people embezzle, and it really breaks, seems to break along gender, um, uh, gender roles, that women typically embezzle for comfort and care, for example, to pay for medical care for family members. Uh, one woman uh, that I came across, her record, she embezzled money to pay the bail for her son who was convicted of some other crime. Uh, Men, on the other hand, tend to embezzle to elevate their status or their power level, and typically they're involved in larger amounts of money, not exclusively, but over the course of looking at a number of cases, you'll see that um, men have the larger embezzlement amounts involved in their cases. And uh, I think we found that in the cases, um, you know, for example, the one we just talked about, the expungement. Uh, the man was not in financial need, but for whatever reason, found it empowering to own the biggest, best, fastest Mustangs and spent a whole lot of his employer's money purchasing those. And so it wasn't for something that he, uh, that he had a, 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 you know, basic need for but something that uh, he thought would elevate his status. Right. I think uh, what in our studies, uh, what I found was that uh, uh, women are uh, more likely, uh, almost twice as likely to be the, uh, the perpetrator of an embezzlement uh, than men. Uh, and these are cases, in my studies, it's only cases over $100,000, so it's mm-hmm. bigger cases. Uh, but, but then the men tend to, you know, steal twice as much as the women on average. So, so <laughs> that fits with what you, what you found. Right, uh, right. Right. And I so, think you also found that less than 1% of embezzlements are drug-related, and that surprised me as well. I guess I had assumed that, um, you know, a substance involvement probably would drive a number of people to become um, embezzlers. But again, maybe it goes back to that trust issue that you don't rise in a business or a nonprofit to the point where, you know, you have control of, of money if, if it's known that you have a drug or alcohol problem. Yeah, I, th- I found that to be uh, less uh, of a occurrence. I mean, there are certainly addictions that caught, that drove embezzlement. The mm-hmm. biggest one that I found was gambling. And I think you, mm-hmm. you saw a connection there, too. Tell, tell me what your impression is on that front. There, we had a case where, um, you know, a woman, and I think it starts out, um, you know, there's some sort of life event that, uh, for example, a case of a, a woman who embezzled from her employer who was a dentist, and she started out, uh, there was, I think there was a divorce involved, and she, so she started out dealing with um, shame and rejection, and there was a local ca- uh, gambling casino in the area, and uh, so she went there and had not 
you know, really had been into gambling prior to that. But she went there thinking, okay, maybe this will make me feel better. I'll just go this one time, small amount of money. Well, push come to shove. She um, continues going back there, and, you know, the amounts get larger and larger, and so she's taking more and more money. Um, so in that case, yes, there, gambling was involved in that situation. Yeah, and what I, I mean, I, a couple of prosecutor friends of mine, uh, alive, active prosecutors, one in Wisconsin next door and another out in California, both of whom I've interviewed, both of them said like the, one of the first things they do when a uh, victim comes to them and says, look, I think my bookkeeper embezzled from me, first, one of the first things they do is issue subpoenas to the local casinos. And, ah. and, and by and large, uh, you know, they say, you know, there's, there's, there's a real... Uh, connection there and embezzlement. There were other uh, addictions I found, you know, shopping addictions and <laughs> other strange addictions right. that uh, that I found that that uh, was a commonality. But uh, by and large, um, the drug and alcohol problem uh, was a relatively smaller aspect of you know it being a factor or a motivating factor in in the in the actual. Uh, 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 embezzlement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think another thing that was interesting from the statistics is that 42% of losses occur uh, in, within financial institutions. And I guess we think of financial institutions as having a very high bar when it comes to um, you know, security, record keeping, um, internal controls, that sort of thing. But apparently, you know, there are also ways somebody who has risen up again through the ranks, gained a lot of trust within the organization, they're able to look at um, those internal controls and spot where there are weaknesses. So, um, you know, in, in government, about 11% of cases um, involve embezzlement from ingo- governmental institutions. And we assume because, again, because of the controls and because they have annual audits done by independent firms that, you know, it just doesn't happen there. But, um, but it does. But it does. <laughs> but it does, and it does in big ways. And also from nonprofits. Yeah. Well, so the, we really uh, build... Uh, yeah, I was just going to say on the, you know, on the financial institution front, I think it's, I mean, obviously that's where the money is. I think Willie Horton said that. Mm-hmm. That's why it went, it's uh, Rob Banks. Uh, but, um, and they do tend to have more uh, stronger, bigger, bigger controls structures. But you have, you know, a twenty-year employee rises to the level of, you know, a fairly significant position and has uh, check-writing authority and what have you. Uh, any institution can be at risk, uh, and particularly when you, uh, what I found also is that smaller financial institutions, uh, credit unions, for example, have exactly. been particularly hard hit. I think you even wrote about one of the, uh, a local credit union, didn't you? Yes, there was a credit union, and actually um, the other employees at that credit union brought it to the attention of the board of directors, I'm told, and the board of directors said, the members said, oh, couldn't be, she's you know been with us forever, um, and some of the employees were suggesting that they were ready to quit because they didn't want a finger to be pointed toward them because they knew this wasn't happening. And I think a lot of times it may not be in the day-to-day transactions as much as use of corporate credit cards seems to be. Um, and if somebody's not checking those credit card statements closely, those can- things can slip through easily. 
Yeah, so certainly uh, the credit card abuse is, uh, is a frequent uh, method of embezzlement, but also uh, what I found was that the most frequent was actually very simple, just check writing, writing checks to themselves, writing checks to their, you know, an entity they created, writing checks to their husband's business, right? you, you name it, any one of those things, very simply uh, transfers of funds or, or conversion of cash receipts, monies that are, supposed to be co- that are coming in that are supposed to be deposited, you know, part of it gets skimmed off and disappeared gets deposited in, the, in their own accounts, uh, another very frequent uh, method of, of embezzlement. So um, we only have a couple minutes here or one minute left uh, um, in this segment. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, or quickly, maybe some of the, the tips you learned on how to protect yourself from embezzlement. I think one, overall, that an owner of a business or a board of directors of a business can't just take some trust for granted that you need to be more hands-on when it comes to, you know, regularly checking bank statements to say, okay, who is that check going to and do I know that vendor? Um, Are there checks being written to places that you don't know? And if you don't know, go back to someone and check who is this. Um, also, checking those credit card statements, um, do those charges make sense? Should our business be doing business at that location? What could we possibly have purchased? Um, and what did we purchase? A lot of times with um, government em- embezzlement, it's done through purchases of, we had a village where they purchased a number of lawnmowers. And none of them were being used by the village. They were either going home with employees or as personal property, or they were going home with employees and being sold for the cash. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things to look for. All right. Well, those that, that those are all that's all good advice. And also, pick up your own mail, business owner. Yeah. <laughs> um, take a look at it first. All right. We are going to be back in two minutes, and we'll continue with Kathy Jessup. Thank you. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. 
Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. Welcome back, folks. Uh, we are speaking today with Kathy Jessup, wrote a great six-part series on embezzlement. And uh, we're talking about uh, some of the statistics, some of the preventive strategies, and a couple of case studies. Uh, but Kathy, uh, welcome back, by the way. Uh, you, wrote, you discovered a program in, I think it's St. Joseph's County, where you're based. Yeah. That... Um, that is a quarter-order program for just this sort of perpetrator, this sort of uh, white-collar criminal. Uh, tell us about this program because I, I hadn't heard of something like this before. But and maybe it's maybe it's unique, but maybe it's not. Uh, tell us about it. I'm not I'm not aware of uh, this being replicated anywhere else either. Uh, there is a psychologist uh, named Matt Pellerito uh, who worked with then prosecutor Jeffrey Middleton in the county looking for some alternative sentencing program that they could come up with for because they were seeing so many embezzlement cases coming through. And the judge told me that when he sees somebody appearing before him, you typically, especially women, appearing before him in an embezzlement case, he said, I can tell you that there was some sort of childhood trauma that that person experienced. And he said, so what we wanted to do is see if we could identify maybe what triggers or what creates a personality that's prone to embezzle and how you unlink that, how you get them to realize what's really behind the embezzlement because it's usually not as much about money as it is about something else. So they developed this. um, It's a 20-hour program, meets for 10 weeks, two hours at a time, and it's a group therapy program. And they begin by, um, and there'll be, you know, up to 10 people perhaps in the group at any one time, and they're all people who have been involved um, in embezzlement, and this is part of their sentencing. And they'll put each one of these people goes on the, they call it the hot seat, and asked to tell their story. And he, and uh, Mr. Pellerito says that at the beginning you can, you can see, you know, how they're trying to rationalize what they did and the equivocations and false excuses. And he said there's nothing like sitting in front of a group of other people who have been guilty of the same offense to know when you're blowing smoke. And he said, they do more for each other than I can, than I can do, um, you know, just on one-on-one counseling. And uh, so they talk about how they pick their targets. 
and especially how they overcome the fear of the consequences that they could suffer. Because he said most of these people realize that this is stealing and stealing is wrong. And so they have to be able to talk themselves through, um, okay, so what am I afraid of if I, if I get caught? What's, what could happen to me if I get caught? And they need to move past denying that what they did was wrong so that they, uh, he said, that's really the key to not reoffending. So that, and that is the rationalization part of the three-legged uh, uh, fraud triangle. Right. Uh, exactly. Correct. Yes, exactly. Um, there's a criminologist back in, um, oh, I think in the fifties, who yes. said, uh, you know, there are three parts to it. You have to have an opportunity. There's a reason, and then there's a rationalization, the pressure to do it, and then a way to rationalize what you've done. And you take away any of those three, and you break that triangle that um, creates the um, uh, the atmosphere for embezzlement to take place. Right. So, t- so with this pro, with this court order program, I imagine it's you know the 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 clerk that steals uh, you know seven hundred fifty dollars from the store to the nine hundred thousand uh, dollar uh, embezzlement from uh, from the by the CFO. Exactly. Uh, they that get ordered to to do this program at least in in your county. What has there been any sense of how successful in rehabilitating these folks? Is, this program's been, or, or has there told, been, what, what's been learned? I'm told by the community corrections uh, people that the recidivism rate in, uh, an embezzlement in this county has been, is now well below the state average. So obviously they're not, they're not, um, it, it, they do have reoffenders, but it's not at the level that they see statewide where they're not using this program. Um, it, one of the other, I think, uh, pivotal points to this program is is they try to identify, okay, what was the reason why you did this? If it's out of need, uh, fin- true financial need, they try to direct the offenders to agencies that can help them with uh, issues that they have, whether they be medical, um, uh uh, substance abuse, that sort of thing. But he said in an awful lot of cases, people come and they, they, they're re, they re resentful about what they're being paid or they don't think they get enough credit in their job, and, and so they use that as a means of justifying what they've done. And he said, you know, in this program that we have, we try to impart upon them that, look, you need to take responsibility for that. You have the opportunity to move on if this job is so heinous and you feel like you're not getting credit or the pay is too low. Um, if you stay in the job, you're responsible for, for creating that situation just as much as the employer is. So you need to take responsibility for that. And if you do, you'll see that embezzlement is not, you know, that you don't deserve that business owner's money. Um, but he also indicated that, uh, you know, often a single situation like a divorce or a death or um, alcohol abuse doesn't trigger, trigger embezzlement occurring without there being some um, underlying anger, entitlement, resentment, or narcissism on the part of the offender. And he said that's what we try to get at, that anger or entitlement, um, and try try to have them recognize that that's really what's what's behind all of this. Yes, and, and this, and this I'm sorry, go ahead. 
And when I talked to the judge, who the prosecutor who was instrumental in getting this program started, who is now um, a, ju- a district judge in the county, he said he's never had a, a person who's gone through this program come back to him and say, you know, that was a big waste of my time. He said, um, conversely, they've said, you know, I think for the first time I understand why I do the things that I do. And he said, I see that as pretty powerful and positive. But he said, I don't, you know, when I send people to um, drug rehabilitation counseling or or substance abuse uh, mental health counseling, I don't always get that reaction. But he said, to a person, I've not had anyone come back to me in this, in the embezzlement group and say, that was a big waste of time. Well, that sounds like it's having a positive effect, and certainly in your county, and perhaps uh, this is the kind of thing that can be replicated. It almost sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, Embezzlers Anonymous, (laughs) but but, uh, it's nice to to hear that uh, it seems to be having a a positive effect, and it does get into this whole area of of the motivating factors uh, that, that push people, you know, sometimes, many times, good people who otherwise would be, you know, do, doing the right thing, you know, doing the wrong thing. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, you know as, you, as we talked about the, the addictions, and but then there's narcissism, there's the entitlement and anger uh, factors. I didn't get that raise. I deserve that money, blah, 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 you know, um, which I see a lot of, especially on some of the bigger cases. Um, so we're going to have to... Um, we're going to have to take a break uh, and finish up the program here. Uh, Kathy, any last thoughts you want to share? No, I just found this, this whole um, area of, of investigation uh, pretty stimulating, stimulating and uh, I, I learned a lot. I, the fact that there is so much beyond the surface of what is responsible for embezzlement, and it's ultimately about people taking responsibility for those issues that they battle with and, um, you know, not looking for the quick fix of just taking other people's money. Uh, and also the concern over is the criminal justice system really equipped to um, make the crime, uh, the punishment fit the crime. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's terrific. Thank you, Kathy, for joining us. And please join us next week when our guest will be Daniel E. Carson, who is chairman of the famed Kroll Associates. And it should be a great episode. Kathy, thank you for joining us. And we'll see everybody I, next week. I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Chris. Great. Talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening to Fraud Talk this week. Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon. We'll be right back.